Hey, welcome today to the Revival Way podcast. I am your host, evangelist, Taylor Michael. Today we're going to pump you up full of the Word of God to get you delivered out of any work of the enemy and to get you empowered and activated to go out and build the kingdom of God with full faith and no hindrance in the mighty name of Jesus. Enjoy. First Samuel, the 16th chapter. Genius, all right? Is it recording? No, it's audio recording. Because I, I got a podcast. By the way, if you guys don't know, you can listen to, we have our Living Love podcast, YouTube, Haas, save it for after. You can listen to uh, the Living Love podcast or YouTube channel anytime we're not meeting, or you can go to Revival Way, Taylor Michael Revival Way on podcast. Any YouTube video I do separately, or these, if you want to re-listen to them, I post them on there. I think I've got, I post one every single week. I've got probably a dozen, two dozen on there already, and I've got some that go through all the way to September, I think. What? Uh, so you're Revival Way, I like, and you only have like season one. Your like last post was like September. Of what? On podcasts? Podcasts. Yeah, I've been posting one every week. Like the Apple podcast. Pull, pull it up while I, while I talk about this. And then if there's something I got to fix, then I will. So we're going to tackle the anointing. Who can tell me, if you remember from times prior, the three different stages that we experience when it comes to the Holy Spirit? We got. Go for it. We got. Among, within. Correct. So John chapter 14, Jesus says, You will know the Holy Spirit, for he dwells among you, but the world cannot know him. But soon he will come to live within you. And then John chapter 20, Jesus ascends after going into the underworld and taking the keys of the death and the grave. And then he breathes onto the disciples. And he says, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And then they're born again. Holy Spirit comes in them. And then... This is the anointing, the Holy Spirit upon them. So the Holy Spirit in us is for us. He comes inside of us to clean the cup, to sanctify us, to make us look like Jesus, and to empower us out of sin, like Zach was saying, to then make us slaves to righteousness. Changes our identity, makes us born again, born of the Spirit and of the water, like Jesus said. But the Holy Spirit upon us is the anointing or the power of God, the manifest power of God, put upon an individual's life to do the works of the ministry. That's why, if you remember, when I was preaching the first time downstairs when Carrie the Love was here, Caden uh, and, and Dayton and everybody came up to me and they're like, dude, I just learned more in 35 minutes than I have in 15 years of being in church. Or sometimes we'll sit up here for two or three hours and it feels like it goes by in what, 10, 15 minutes, right? Just seems like time goes by like that. That's the anointing. When you flow in the Spirit, when the Lord pours His Spirit upon somebody with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, what He does is He empowers them by His anointing to go out and to claim domain for the kingdom of God. So I'm going to show you a couple instances of what the anointing of God looks like in the Bible. Because if any of you have intentions on ministering and leading people to Jesus like Zach did, this would be a good message for him too. Anyone that plans on ministering the word of God to people need to know how to flow in the anointing. 
Because if you don't know how to work with the anointing and to be led by the Spirit of God, to work in the power of God and with the power of God, you won't be a co-laborer with Him. And then you'll find yourself fighting against the anointing instead of working with the anointing. Then you won't get anything done. So if I can train you to flow in the anointing, you'll be even more effective than you are right now. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see an Old Testament picture of the anointing. Now there were three offices of individuals that were anointed in the Bible. Number one were the prophets. Prophets were anointed by God. Number two were kings. And number three were priests. Priests, prophets, kings. These were individuals in the Old Testament that were anointed with the Holy Spirit to go about doing good as Jesus did and healing people that were oppressed. And the three different areas that you see is prophets were meant to work under kings. Basically, kings answered to prophets for guidance for nations. Prophets always hear from God and point a nation in a direction. They either call them from repentance of sin or they point them in a direction like the promised land to go take dominion. Kings are anointed with the Holy Ghost to take dominion in the power of God and in the kingdom of God by God's Spirit. And the, the book of Zechariah says, Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. When we work with the anointing of God, things get done almost instantly and at very rapid paces. They get done, they multiply. See, God's not a God of, of addition. God's a God of multiplication. God doesn't just do one plus one plus one plus one. He does one times two times five times a hundred. I mean, you think about even when Peter was anointed with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, he gave his first sermon and how many people got saved? Remember? 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus in Peter's first sermon. If you read that sermon, it was a minute and 30 seconds long. Now, he might have said other stuff on top of it. But that's what the anointing will do. The anointing will grace you to be able to reach multitudes like that. So, back to 1 Samuel chapter 16 when David's anointed. Verse 7, we're going to hop on down. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, I want to point this out because the prophet Samuel, right before this, the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, who was the king over Israel at the time. So when the Spirit of the Lord, when the anointing had left Saul, God needed to anoint a new king. See, Saul had disobeyed God. He had gone against the Spirit of the Lord, so God had removed his spirit from Saul. And he sent Samuel to go anoint King David. King David is a young boy at this time, and he's got his older brothers that are they're high in height. They've got good stature. They seem like men that would be anointed to be kings. But who does God pick? David, the shepherd boy. He picks, he says, I don't look on outward appearance. So it doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter how small you are. You know how many preachers I know that go into the ministry with a lisp? Or they have no knowledge of the word. They have, they have no idea what's going on. But the Spirit of the Lord picks them because of their heart posture. I think about myself. There's no way I should be an individual that's preaching the word of God with the way that I lived. The way that I grew up. If somebody would have told me when I was eight years old and my parents just got divorced and my dad was going downhill and my life was flipped upside down like that, that I was going to be somebody preaching the gospel, I would have said, you're smoking crack. There's no way, the way that I grew up, should I be at a pulpit leading men and women to God, but the Lord chose somebody like me. And the reason is, is God doesn't look on your outward appearance. He doesn't care how many state championships you have. He doesn't care how many women you're pulling on the weekends. God looks at where your heart is. If your heart is the proper stature to love God with all your might and to love people, he'll pick you every time. 
And not only will he pick you, he'll abundantly bless you. Think about David. How was David known? What did they say about David? He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man that wanted to please God more than anything. In his righteousness, in his relationships, and even he fell short. But he repented. He was a man after God's own heart. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Hop up to verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. Say keeping the sheep. Keeping the sheep. David was keeping the sheep. David was attending the flock of God while these other men were just expecting to receive the power of the Lord. God will find somebody. So here's a really cool thing I want you to understand about the anointing. God will anoint somebody when he sees that they've already stepped into their calling. Now that sounds really deep and you might not be able to grasp it yet. But there's more to God than you could ever, ever expound in your life. God is looking for somebody that doesn't have to be smacked upside the head to walk into their calling. But when they feel like there's something that they've been called to do, they're already out there doing it when God touches their life. For example, I'll use my own life. For me, nobody had to tell me to go to Walmart and start praying for sick people. Nobody had to tell me to start talking to people in the gym about Jesus. I was just so obsessed with God, like what Zach is experiencing right now, I couldn't keep it shut up in my bones. Like the prophet Jeremiah said, it was like a fire shut up inside my bones. All of a sudden, I started walking in my calling before the Lord had even called me. Now, he had called me before the, uh, he had predestined me before the foundation of the world, but I was already walking in this path. I was already going after it. God didn't have to show up with an angel and say, like he did with Jonathan. God didn't have to show up with an angel and say, Talon, I've called you to be an evangelist at the end times. For soon I will be coming back and people need to repent. He didn't have to do that. All he had to do was come in and touch my heart. It made me fall in love with him. And then when I fell in love with him, I was like, well, what do you do? You go get everybody else to fall in love with him. So you think about David. David was already in the field attending the sheep. David was already tending to the flock, doing what God was actually going to have him do in the spirit. He was already doing in the natural. It's important. If you can get that into your spirit, that's important. Know that because there's tricks. What, what does God hide in the secret place? Do you remember? Mysteries. Secrets. Mysteries. Very good. There's mysteries. The word of God is not written for heathens. The word of God is written for believers. How many of you see Satanists running around reading the Bible? They don't. God's secrets for you are in this book. And there's little things that if you'll notice, you'll be able to tap into different realms of the power of God. Then Samuel said, verse 11, to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome like David. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Underline that, highlight it, put it in your notebook. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward.
Go to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I was talking to an evangelist friend of mine one time and just asking him about the anointing and and I'll go over a few uh, areas that I can I'll, I'll tell you how to grow, how to increase the anointing on your life, how to access it. But I was talking to my evangelist friend and, and I said, hey, how would you explain the anointing? Because there's an old famous quote that says, you don't quite know what it is, but you know when it ain't. For example, how many of you have sat in a church service before for an hour and it felt like six? Yeah. How many of you have sat in these services for three hours and it felt like 30 minutes? Right? There's a difference. It's called the anointing. And so the anointing, the Spirit of God, when an individual is anointed, the way he explained it was he said, in the Old Testament, a type and shadow of the anointing of the Spirit of God was oil. And what the word anointing means is to smear. So the anointing, when they would anoint the sick with oil, they would smear the oil on them, and they would pray, and the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon an individual, and they would be healed. Or they would anoint a prophet, a priest, or a king. They would rub the oil on them, anoint them with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them and anoint them for the office that they were in. If they were a prophet, they were meant to flip a nation upside down and to lead a king. If they were a king, they were anointed to go into Jericho and drop the walls and slaughter the whole city and take dominion for the kingdom of God. And if they were a priest, they were there to minister to the children of God. And he said, think about oil. When you use oil in a car or anything, for a matter of fact, what does it do? It reduces friction. The oil, the anointing of God, reduces friction in your life. What that means is, how, how many of you have ever given like a speech in class before? You guys ever done public speaking? What's the longest one you've ever given? Like 12 Five minutes. minutes. Seven, Seven minutes. minutes. Seven minutes, how many years? 10, 12, 15? Yeah. 15? It's long, right? Do you feel like, how long do you think it was when you came up here the other day and, and preached quickly for us? About 10 minutes? Two minutes? No, that was longer, too. It was like 10, 15 minutes. Oh, felt really fast. Felt really fast, right? And it was easy. You probably could have kept going. You were just being respectful, right? There you go. That's the anointing. That's the difference. You think about when you go and you give an essay versus when you go and you actually walk in what the Lord's anointed you to do, you're going to be a preacher one day. That's why you felt the power of God. All of a sudden, the zeal comes on you. This passion comes on you. When the anointing comes upon you, it makes 30 minutes seem like 30 seconds, and there's no friction. Suddenly, you're going with the wind. This same guy I was talking to, he used the example of when he flies to Ghana. He's from Ghana. He said, when I leave New York and I fly to Ghana, it takes me nine hours to get there. But when I fly from Ghana back to New York, it takes me 11 hours to get to New York. Because when you fly from New York to Ghana, you're flying with the wind. But when you come back from Ghana, you're going against the wind. Mm -hmm. He said the best way to explain it is that when you are in the anointing, you're going with the wind. Things get done quicker. All of a sudden, it's like things just get into the hearts of man. I'll go into that deeper in a second. But let's just keep reading. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now I want you to notice all the things he's saying before verse 5. He explains how the Lord blesses him in this area. The Lord leads him beside still waters. He restores his soul, paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death. The shadow of death. He doesn't experience death. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though we pass on from this life, we don't die. The Bible says, don't fear man who can kill only the body, but fear the living God who can kill the body and the soul in the pit of hell. So we don't go through that. We don't die in the spirit. We simply sleep and move on to a glorious life. So what he's doing is he's actually labeling all of the benefits of the anointing. When you're in the anointing of God, you will notice you will lack nothing. It says, I shall not want. You'll lie down in green pastures. You'll have a peace that surpasses all understanding. He'll lead you beside still waters. The anointing restores your soul. He'll lead you in paths of righteousness. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27 says, The anointing that abides in you teaches you all things. The Holy Ghost, the anointing in you, leads you in righteousness. Isn't that why he says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake? The anointing in you will lead you in righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. The anointing puts protection over you. You won't fear evil, for you are with me. The only way God is with you is if the anointing is with you, correct? That's right. The anointing is the Spirit of God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Say overflows. 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 Could you tell when Zach got up here that he wasn't pouring out of an empty cup? It only took him about two minutes and then he couldn't hold the passion in anymore because it's overflowing. And all of a sudden you get into this simple, you can write this down or at least remember this. When you minister in the anointing, you minister out of an overflowing cup. You never want to minister the word of God out of anything other than overflow. The moment that you have to tap into what's in the cup, you're on your way down to drying out. You only want to minister in the overflow. Trust me, the overflow is enough. But you'll be able to tell when all of a sudden you're like, man, I need a nap. Man, I need to chill out. Man, I've been preaching too much. And you guys, you probably don't experience this yet, but you will. And it's just better to know now than to have me have to preach this to you when you're dried out. Amen? Amen. We minister out of the overflow. We minister out of the overflow. If you minister out of an empty cup, you don't have anything to give. Then you're no good anyway. Then it's just empty words. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If goodness and mercy are following you, where are they? They're behind you, right? How does something follow you unless it's behind you? So surely goodness and mercy will be behind you. Good. Go to Ephesians 6 with me. This will make sense now. Just now. Now, now. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Who remembers in Deuteronomy 28 when you read about the blessings of obedience? I know Stephen does. What does it say will happen if you obey God's word, you do not depart from it? What will those blessings do? It says, surely these blessings will overtake you. How does something overtake you? 
comes from behind. You guys ever been in the ocean? And you like turn your back on a wave? You guys are from Iowa, you haven't been in the ocean. <laughs> Unless maybe you've gone on vacation, but suddenly you're standing in a, in a wave and you turn around and out of nowhere, just whack, you just get overtaken by a wave. I used to surf in Hawaii and California, it happened all the time. If I'd just be boogie boarding or hanging out, skimboarding, whatever it was, if you turn your back on the wave, you'll get taken out. It'll overtake you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and surely these blessings will overtake you from behind. Now, that's important because I want you to understand some important aspects about the armor of God. Ephesians 6, chapter 10, or verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Say His might. His might. Not your might, not the flesh, not your mind, not what you think you got going on, not in your ability to communicate. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. That's His spirit. That's what Zechariah the prophet said. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. So you are strong in the Lord by his spirit, in the power of his might. And you'll understand that. There's a moment for any of you that want to preach in the future. I recommend, for me, what helps me a lot is I preach on TikTok. But before I was preaching on TikTok, I would preach to myself in the mirror. I would preach sermons. I, I preach sermons to myself. Our, our whole team does it. We preach to ourselves because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You can preach faith into yourself, into your spirit. So not only do you build up faith in yourself supernaturally, you actually learn how to become a preacher. Billy Graham, one of the greatest preachers of all time, his son Franklin Graham came up to him and he said, Dad, how do I become a great preacher? And he said, preach. That's it. The only way to become a great preacher is to preach. And when you preach and you preach and you preach, you become a great preacher. You guys ever noticed, and this isn't, this isn't a boast at all, it's just simple practice, discipline, and the anointing. I, I come up here, I don't, if I look at my notes, it's maybe like a few times I glance at it. You get so full of it after you do it so long, it just flows. You can preach for three, four, five, six hours at a time. If you're Stephen, eight, nine, ten hours at a time. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness. What does that mean? It says against forces, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What does that mean? The devil, right? Correct. It says our, our battle is not with people. Our battle isn't with religious people. It's not with people that disagree with us. It's not with people that haven't experienced what we experience. It's not with our ex-girlfriend. It's not with our buddy that has invited us to parties every week. Our battle is not with people. Our battle is with the spiritual forces that influence people. There's a man by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. I told you guys this story before. Uh, Haas knows it. So Smith Wigglesworth was very well known for his unbelievably dynamic healing ministry. This guy would, there would be people that would come uh, on stretchers about to die and he'd lay hands on them and they would pop up out of their stretchers straight out of the hospital and they'd be perfectly healed. People would come with cancerous tumors and he'd lay hands on them and their tumors would fall off of their body. He raised 23 people from the dead. There was one time he went into this funeral home and it was this guy that he knew and the, the, the door where the casket was, there was this massive glass wall. So you could see through, you could see the casket in there, the dead dudes in the casket, everybody else is out. They're like, and they're black and they're just very somber. And, and uh, I almost made a joke, but I can't make that joke. And uh, anyway, Smith Wigglesworth wasn't even invited to the funeral. And he just walks in 
doesn't say a word to anybody, walks right into the glass room, shuts the door, locks it behind him, goes to the casket, rips the guy out of the casket, takes him to the wall, and throws him against the glass. And he says, live in Jesus' name. And the dude just hit the wall and slid down the wall. And he was still dead. And Smith picked him up again and threw him against the wall. Live in Jesus' name. Nothing. Third time, threw him against the wall. Live in Jesus' name. And the dude took a breath, popped back open, came back to life. And he walked out. Smith Wigglesworth had his arm around him, and he walked right out. And everybody just sat there in shock. Couldn't believe a single thing that had just happened. See, there's things that happen in the spirit realm. They're the things that impact that which is happening in the physical realm. That's why he said our, our, battle, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. He said our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. They're spiritual weapons. Spiritual weapons. Now, there's three aspects of heaven. Do you guys remember I went over this before? The three different levels of heaven. Yeah. First heaven. This is the first heaven. The second heaven, because what does it say there? In heavenly places. Are there demons running around in heaven? No. So there must be different levels of heaven. This is what we call the first heaven. We are experiencing the first heaven. Just beyond the veil in the spirit realm where angels and demons run around and do their thing. That's the second heaven. That is what he's talking about here. The second heaven. Things that are happening in the spirit realm, in the second heaven. Spiritual forces in heavenly places. It's the second heaven is like the spiritual realm. Correct. Okay. The third heaven is where the throne of God is. Well, the kingdom of God is still here. But yes, he'll bring a new heaven and a new earth. So the third heaven, the third level of heaven is where God's throne is. Is that what it talks about in like Revelation 4? Yep. Where he said, come up hither. And he pulled him into the third heaven. But where, where was, where, oh, never mind, I won't get into it. Too deep. What, Satan? Did you just get some revelation? Well, not revelation, but like, so, first, Ephesians 1, verse 3, where it says, in the heavenly realms where, where um, every spiritual blessing. That's right. So people will think that, oh, in heaven we get every spiritual blessing. But when you say so here, it's it's it says, heaven. against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, come on. there's no there's no evil in heaven. That's right. So it's not talking so it's about heaven. It's not talking about heaven. Yeah. Oh, we just had we just had that talk. Remember? So how do we access the, the spiritual blessings in he- heavenly realms? Faith. Faith is how you pull all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places into this life. Stephen, do you want to share quickly? Uh, uh, what we've experienced financially, quickly, very quickly, please. What we've right. experienced financially. So please. 10 days ago, I did a teaching on prayer, okay, and how we need to stop praying and asking God to send finances because actually the finances are here on earth. We just need to command that kind of stuff to come, actually. And so I went through this like little prayer set and I asked the Lord for a number of things. And in that was full provision, like financial provision, for our team and our trip to Florida. And yesterday, we had multi-millionaire pay for our accommodation for the entire team for the week that we're there. Um, and every member of our team has been, like has had finances just come into their lives. If not in the hundreds, then the thousands, which is amazing. Wow. So that happened in 10 days. Very good. Thank you. So. 
But literally, that's exactly what we experienced. Stephen, by faith, in 10 days, pressed into prayer. Think about it. There were two people that died in the New Testament of the apostle, or one person that died, one apostle. Uh, not Stephen, but who was the next one that died? You guys remember? James. James. Why did James die? Because they didn't pray for him. How did Peter get out? They prayed for him. So freedom, and I won't get too deep into that, but I just want you to understand, because prayer will go into the anointing here. But what we experienced by faith, we pulled what's in the Spirit into life in 10 days of dynamic prayer, where we were going after it. We were claiming what's already ours. If we've been given all spiritual blessings, we don't need to pray for any spiritual blessings. We've, we've already got them. We just need to claim them. Lord, we claim them now in Jesus' name. We call them right now in the name of Jesus. Anyone that was here for David Wagner this past weekend, he said, somebody's miracle is in your mouth, and your miracle is in somebody else's mouth. Oftentimes, God is just waiting for you to use the power of life and death that's in your tongue to speak those things which do not exist as though they do. In Romans 4.17, that's faith. You speak those things which do not exist in the natural eye, but you do know exist in the heavenly realms, and you call them into existence in your life. You pull them into your life by your faith, by declaration. What scripture is it, Steve, that says you will decree a thing and it'll be done to you? Uh, it's in there somewhere. Yeah. I feel like Paul, somewhere it is written. <laughs> so let's keep going. We'll get back on track here. 13, verse 13, Ephesians 6, 13. So we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication." So what is the Spirit? What is the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. Somebody explain that to me. Give me an example. Hebrews 4 verse 12. Yeah, I was going to say that. Hebrews 4 verse 12. But what does it mean? Explain it in, in this. So the way it becomes well, uh, random. Right here. Meaning any, anything in life that comes at you, you just look in this thing and you find the answer and you find a way to overtake it or whatever. So if I came at you with a gun right now and you looked in your Bible, would it stop me from shooting you? In faith. Yeah, in faith. I'm I like speaking. your faith. In faith, I'm not too worried. I like your faith. No, okay. It might hit me, but okay. No, it's good. David Wagner said, so I wrote this down. That I don't know what I'm saying, something, but the Lord wants us to be like the Hebrews 4 verse 12. Us to be the alive and active. We are the alive and active word of God. So what does he mean by that? Well, how do you use the word of Did you, you, you can use the word of God. Did you know that? It's there for you to use it. Yeah. You use a sword, don't you? Yeah. How do you use a sword? Fight in the spirit. That's how you fight in the spirit. But you don't just use the word. What does it say? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So not just the spirit, not just the word, the sword of the spirit, the sword of the anointing, which is the word of God. That's why you can listen to a pastor that prepares a sermon all week long, and it won't do a single thing in your life because there's no anointing on it. The moment that you get somebody, they don't they don't have to know Jack. You, you can they could be wearing camel's hair, eating locusts and honey. And all of a sudden they have an anointing on them, like John the Baptist did, and it will shake a nation. 
suddenly they'll be used by God to prepare the way of the Lord. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, you have to imagine, here's the anointing. Hold on real quick. I want you to imagine that you have the Spirit of God. Here's the Word of the Lord. You have to cover the Spirit of the Lord, or the Word of God, with the Spirit of the Lord. Otherwise, it won't work. It's a dull sword. The Word of God is not meant to be dull. How is it alive and active? The Spirit makes it alive and active. So you have to have the anointing, and you have to have the Word of God. The reality is, not everybody's called to the ministry. Hate to break it to you. Some of you might. Maybe you all might. I don't know. That's up to God. Not everybody is called to preach the Word of God. And you can tell it. They preach. There's no anointing on it. It's not a bad thing. They're just anointed for something else. But oftentimes you'll get people that just grew up the pastor's kid. No offense, Steve. And they just go into the ministry. They're just like, oh, it's like all I know. I'm just supposed to go into the ministry. And they won't have a call on their life. It's a dangerous path. You can still have the word, and the word will never come back void. Doesn't mean you're anointed to use the word. That might be deep, but I want you to understand. So, it's alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it do? Pierces the soul and the spirit. Pierces between the soul and the spirit. What's the soul and the spirit? Your mind and your spirit, right? Separate soul and spirit between bone and marrow. So the word of God is used as your weapon in the anointing. In the anointing. Yeah. You think about... Go for it. You think about Acts 2 when Peter's preaching in verse 38, the response is, we're cut to the heart. What shall we do? And he says, you need to repent and you need to, and you'll receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How's he cut to the heart? The word of God Because it's a soul. So when it says, hold on real quick, keep that thought. Is everybody here? Yeah. You're good. You wrap up. We're going to start. Go for it, So when it says, when we're using the sword of the spirit, that's against all these evil spirits, correct? correct? Not against man, but against the spirits of the demons, whatever else. Correct. In the spiritual places. So, so think I'm, about it this way. A devil doesn't want us to have finances to go to Florida. So what do we do? We use the word of God to cut through the things of the enemy to get finances for Florida. And you do that through Christ. By declaration, you claim the word of God over your life. What did Zach say? I claim the word of God when I wake up over my life. By thanks and praise, by thanksgiving. Go to, um, no. Go to First Chronicles, chapter 20. First Chronicles, like, Sorry, let's go to Second Chronicles, chapter 20, not first. Yeah, you always find me getting in the Old Testament, right? That's because Scripture interprets Scripture. I'm going to show you a, a very... If you get this, I mean, number one, you got to understand the anointing. And when I'm wrapping this up, I'm going to prophesy over each one of you before we go. It'll be quick. I'll just give you words because it's important that you guys get words from the Lord. But I'm going to give you right now this one tip. If you can gather this, Zach's been doing it all along, and he doesn't even know what he's doing. But you're about to get learned real good too. This will change your life when, when you grab a hold to this truth. It's about praise. So, uh, Stephen, would you go to Psalm 100 for us and read to us what it says about praise and thanksgiving? Fun fact, in the Old Testament, King Solomon, if somebody came into the temple of the Lord depressed or sad, they were killed. And 
they were thrown out of the temple of the Lord. Just saying. How does it how does it tell us to come into the presence of God? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Into his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So, with the tabernacle that they would travel and praise in, the outer court was called the gate, or the way. The inner court was called the courts, or the inner courts. And then there was the Holy of Holies, the way, the truth, the life. That was the, the entrances into the presence of God. So he said, enter my gates with thanksgiving and my courts with praise. You were required as you came into the gate to give an offering and giving thanks to God for what he's done in your life. Mm -hmm. And then you were entered to walk into, or you were required to walk into the courts by praise. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you that you're a deliverer. Thank you that you're Jehovah Rapha, that you heal me. Thank you, God, that you're my provider. Yes. And then you start thanking the Lord, and all of a sudden your faith gets bah, bah, bah. And you mm -hmm. come into the presence of God thanking him for who he is and what he's done. That's how God requires us to come in. And I'll, I'll show you what God will do in your life if you learn that truth. You wake up every day, no matter what it looks like in your life, any circumstance spiritually that's going on, if you grab this and you apply it, no matter how big the mountain is, it'll move every time. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Verse 17, we'll start. This is the Lord <clears throat> speaking to Jehoshaphat. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. This is before they had gone out and won this battle. And the Levites of the Kohalathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They were praising God before they even went to battle. They were thanking him for victory before they even went into battle. And check this out. And they rose early in the morning and went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Mm -hmm. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. That's huge. Underline that. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and said, holy attire. That's what we're wearing tonight. This is holy attire. We don't come in sweats. Holy attire. As they went before the army, and this is what they said. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Pause. Anytime you see people praise God using those two sentences. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who knows what happens? I feel it happening now. They win. Yes. But there's something supernatural that happens. They win the spiritual A glory cloud fills the earth. Any time in the Old Testament that you see them praise God with this sentence, glory fills the room. God's glory manifests. Verse 22, and when they began, say began, began. when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so, they were, so that they were routed. 
For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. As they began to praise and worship God, the enemy attacked themselves. God confused them, and the enemy killed themselves. Next verse, 24. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. They hadn't even made it there yet. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in the taking of spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for they had, or there they blessed the Lord. Not only did God destroy their enemies when they were praising and worshiping God, he let them take the spoil for free. So not only when you learn how to praise God and give him thanksgiving, this is, so this is key. I want you to understand this. Remember the three revelations I told you about reading the word. Literal, spiritual, personal. So there's historical reading of the Bible. You read the narrative of the Bible. Number two, spiritual. Number three, apply it to your life. It becomes personal. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That only comes by rhema, right? The rhema word we went over last time. Is that a living word? Logos and rhema, the living word. Logos, logical word. Rhema, the living word. All of a sudden, it becomes revelation in your spirit. What's the revelation of that story, Zach? Did you grab it? The blessing. But how did their enemies get destroyed? By praising. So there's things, there's enemies, there's plans of the wicked one coming after you in your life. Almost constantly, especially when you grab onto this stuff. But if you can learn how to praise, even in those times, you'll watch the Lord destroy your enemies and you won't even have to fight the battle. What's the first thing we read? The battle is not yours, says the Lord. battle belongs to God. When you learn how to praise God, even in the battle, he'll take care of the enemies. He'll make the enemy will destroy itself. Deuteronomy 28, what's one of the blessings for obedience? Your enemies will come before you one way and run from you seven ways. Now a lot of people when it comes to marriage, they quote this. One can put a thousand to flight and two can put ten thousand to flight. That context that it's actually using is about war. It says that one person will put a thousand enemies to flight, meaning that they'll run from you. Two people will put ten thousand enemies to flight. If you go read the whole context, it's talking about war. God is saying when you have two people in your life, two people can put ten thousand enemies to flight. Imagine what God can do. So, if you remember, what follows you? We went over Psalm 23 and Deuteronomy 28. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Deuteronomy 28, surely these blessings will overtake me. These are all from behind you. Why are they all from behind you? Did you notice anything specific about the armor of God? How much of the armor of God was on their back? None. None of the armor of God is on your back. Because when you're running forward in your call for life, you only need the armor in the front because surely goodness and mercy will follow you and these blessings will constantly overtake you. Amen. God has your back. In the Old Testament, it says that the glory of the Lord will be at their rear end. The glory of the Lord is what protects your back. 
Your friends don't have to protect your back. Your family doesn't have to protect your back, even though it's great. When you live a life in the Word of God, I feel the anointing on that. Get this in your spirit. When you live a life in the Spirit of God, in the anointing of God, in the blessing of God, you live in His Word, you do not depart from it. Surely goodness and mercy and the blessings of God will overtake you, and His glory will be your rear guard. But apply the whole armor of God every day. Wow. That's good. You won't have to worry about anything behind you. Goodness and mercy. In God. Come behind you. All you have to do is just put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God and obey His word, right? Joshua 1, Psalm chapter 1. Obey my word, meditate on it day and night, right? Do not depart from it, not from the left or to the right. Stay in the Word. It's what you guys have been doing. It's what you've been experiencing. Have any of you experienced that your life has gotten better, more smooth since you started coming to these? Yeah? I know that your, your hogs have been just going after it, right? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Experiencing the blessing. Freddie, what's, what's one way that you've experienced goodness and mercy these past couple weeks? Um, I've noticed a, a lot of stronger connection with my mom. Wow. Uh, she grew up... Uh, really into the Word of God, and she said that it really helped her get back into it, because uh, she had, she had uh, felt that she didn't have time, so once I started coming here, she just said that I really helped her get back into it, and she wants me to help uh, my family to get back into the Word of God. Well done. Yeah. I'm proud of you. It's amazing. That is really good. Yeah. Who else? Solomon? I just feel like I love more. I've been asking Jesus to help me love like he, like he did. It's awesome. Yeah. It's good. Bible studies at school, new guys coming in. It's amazing stuff. This is sure. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you. It's amazing how when you're so focused on the call of God and you're flowing in the anointing, because the armor of God's not physical. You guys see my breastplate of righteousness? No, it's just my pecs. <laughs> Haas knows that. Haas got some pecs. The, the spirit of the Lord, in the spirit, that is the armor of God. The anointing is what applies your armor. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. All of a sudden you'll notice... I mean, I, you guys know I can sit up here for hours and hours. I can just preach, I can preach, I can preach, I can preach. I don't get tired. I don't get tired at all until afterwards. I mean, there's been nights where I've laid hands on 40, 50 people after preaching three-hour sermon. I had an impartation from Stephen. Amen. And I didn't feel tired, not even a little bit. But then the moment that it was like, God, I could feel the anointing lift. And then it's like, ooh. Go to First John chapter 2. Ooh. 1 John chapter 2. As you're turning there, who remembers what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 4, verse 18? Quoted from the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor. Liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom to those that are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Mm. 
So what does the anointing bring? Good news. The anointing brings the gospel. Who remembers what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? I will not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. But what did he say in 1 Corinthians 2? I didn't come to you with wise words. What did he come with? The power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. He said, I didn't come with wise words, a seminary, a cemetery degree. I didn't go to Dort or Northwestern for four years studying. And I mean, this, I mean, no offense to any of them. It's just, he didn't say any of that. I came to you with simple words. Power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. The demonstration of the anointing. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 20. But you have been anointed. Say, I'm anointed. anointed. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. So the next time your teacher asks you a question, don't say, I don't know. You all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So if you ever want to know if someone's a false prophet, that's how you know. If they deny the Father and the Son. Don't listen to everybody that's running around saying false prophet this, false teacher that. Use the Bible. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So if they confess the Son, they have the Father also. A little fun fact for all the uh, people out there with college degrees on false prophets. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. Now in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So let's read that verse again. And you have no need, or I'm sorry, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. Mm. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus is the baptizer of fire. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The spirit of God in you will teach you everything you need to know. Now, it's great when you get to come here and I get to teach you the word. I get to preach in India. I get to build your faith and remind you that this is for much more than just showing up for a Bible study. This is actually something you can apply to your life. And when you learn how to live in the Spirit, what did Paul say in Romans 8, Hayden? Walk in the walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. When you walk in the anointing, everything in your life gets easier. It's your homework, your relationships, your friendships, your parents. Now, there might be turmoil. The enemy might shake things up a little bit, but you just stay steadfast in the Spirit. Stay in the Spirit as He is in the Spirit. When you stay in the anointing, one, it will teach you all things. He will teach you all things pertaining to life and godliness. That is when you will partake in divine nature, like Peter said. The Holy Spirit in you will teach you. Remember in John 16, 
He will come and he will speak to you of things to come. He's the teacher, the spirit of all truth, the guider, the helper, the comforter. The spirit inside of you will teach you everything you need to know. So what's, what's a common thing that people, a common struggle, we'll close on this. What's a common struggle that most people your age face right now? Lust. Lust. What's another uh, one? Worry. Worry. So anxiety. Great. How would you cure somebody from an issue of lust or anxiety? Knowing what I just told you, what would you do about it? So lust and anxiety. Are those? Can you see lust? Can you see anxiety? No. no. That's a spiritual force in a heavenly place. How do you handle it? The word, the what? The word of God. The sword of God. Isn't that funny? How do you spell sword? S word. Spirit and word, bro. That's some deep revelation. You don't have to pay me for that one. Good. But I, I wanted to stay a little longer, but my mom put me That's up. okay. Tell her I love her. Okay. Tell her I thank her for letting you be here. Yeah. So, how do you handle lust? I know, right? Play on words. Who would have thought? Well, think, think, all right, so here, let's think about words. How do you put a word together? You spell it. How do you cast a spell on something? Words, spell. Give me, some, give me some deep revelation some other time. This is Pauline. I, I, these this are pearls. I do this whole thing. These are pearls. I don't want to get too deep into it. How do you how do you fix lust and anxiety in somebody's life? You, this is, lust and anxiety are evil spirits. You've been given the armor of God to handle evil spirits. How do you handle it? Your best friend is struggling with lust and anxiety. How do you handle it? If you had a sword, how would you cut down something that needs to be gone? You pierce it. There you go. You pierce it. You pierce it by the word. So it says in Ephesians chapter 5, 4, Ephesians 5, that we are washed by the word. The word washes. The word washes. Jesus even said, my words will clean you. The word of God, the sword, the spirit of God, which is the word of God, cleans people. The anointing destroys yokes of bondage. The word cleans, the anointing destroys. The anointing will destroy a yoke on your life and the word will come in and clean it up and get rid of it. So, if somebody comes at you and they say, or you're just, they're sharing their heart with you, because here's the reality. You hang out with anointed people, you're going to catch anointing. And you already have anointing in you because you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's only a matter of time, which you've probably already experienced. People are going to be drawn to you for answers. Because, do you remember what I told you last week? You have what the world needs, and the world wants what you have. So, freedom. And the anointing, and the Word of God. So, it's only a matter of time before the Lord starts bringing people into your life for you to deal with these situations. So, you deal with anxiety by getting rid of it. You bind it, you get rid of it. Jesus told the disciples in the book of Matthew, I think it's chapter 4. can't remember. In the book of Matthew, he said, Anything, Peter, that you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. Anything you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. 
heaven's backing you. You have the authority, Jesus said in John chapter 16, all the Father has has been given to me, and all yep. that I have I give to you by the Spirit of God. You have authority to get rid of the spirit of anxiety. Hold on, baby. So you get rid of the spirit of anxiety by binding it, getting rid of it, casting it out of the, to the abyss. Hey, that's what Isaiah says, right? The one place they don't want to go is to the abyss. So send them to the abyss. Yep. You say, oh, I want to pray for you. Lay hands on them. Say, spirit of anxiety, I bind you right now in Jesus' name. Get out. Never come back. Empty the house. Fill it with the word of God. So fill them with the spirit. Fill them with truth. What's the cool thing about truth? Do you remember what I told you about truth? Once you know it, you can never forget it, right? The moment somebody told you that stealing was a sin and that it was wrong, did you ever forget? No. Once you know truth, you can never forget truth. Wow. So you prophesy over people's lives. Clean them up with the word of God. Destroy the yoke of bondage on their life by the anointing, the sword of the spirit. And then equip them to go forward. I don't remember that what was I said. The truth. You should have forgotten what I said. Uh, Once you know the truth, you won't forget it. Word of God and the Spirit of God. Cast out the demon. This is a spiritual issue. Yes, my question is so. I approach someone personal and he says he's struggling with anxiety. What would be the first thing to say to him? Okay, you're struggling. You're struggling. So, this is what I would do. Struggling with anxiety? Alright. Can I pray for you? Mm. How does somebody receive something spiritual? Yeah. It's spiritual. Well, but how? How do they access it? By the Holy Spirit. I don't know. How, did you how do you access what's in the Spirit? By the faith. So I'll give you a little trick. You got, do you guys want to know the number one key to make sure that people get what they're looking for? Faith. If somebody needs an answer, build their faith. How do you build their faith? Word of God. Word of God. What if they are Christians, though? Doesn't matter. They still come to that There you go. So, like, so if hey, I hold say, on, quick, okay. let me give you an example, just so I can make this rhema in your spirit. When I preach at a crusade, when I lead people to Jesus, they are not believers, but I preach the word of God to them. I say, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God and sent. But the Bible also says that God sent his son. That if you just believe in him, you do not perish. And I preach the word of God in them until their faith is built up to the point where they can receive it. Like, all right, believe this. So in Acts chapter 14, verse 8, in Lystra, do you remember the story of Paul? Paul goes to Lystra and he's preaching the word of God. And he sees a lame man who has never walked in his life. But he preached so much faith into him that Jesus was the healer. The man was so full of faith, it says that Paul looked at him intensely and saw that he had enough faith to be healed. And he said, stand up and walk. And when he did, the man jumped up on his feet. You can see when somebody has enough faith to receive something. I could be in the middle of a sermon, and I could make an altar call if, if I can see on somebody's face that they have enough faith to receive. So if you want to know how to get people to receive, you can literally hack answers for people's lives. This, I'm not even kidding. This is what a good preacher will do. That's why if people, hey, we're doing a healing service tonight. What do you do? You preach on healing. This is why healing is for today. This is why God wants you to be healed. And this is why Jesus will do it now. You preach for an hour and a half, and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, and their faith is so built 
that when you go and you say, now when I lay hands on you in the name of Jesus, you will be healed. All of a sudden, just like in Mark chapter 5, the woman with the issue of blood, she reached out and knew if I could just touch the hem of his garment. You get their faith so stirred that the moment that you have that point of contact, boom, they get healed because they receive their healing by their faith. You pump their faith up. Get their faith gauge up. Fill them up full of faith gas. You get them full of faith gas and they're going to access it every time. So if somebody has a spirit of anxiety and they said, dude, I'm struggling with anxiety, you have five, six, seven, I, any point, I highly recommend have at least four scriptures that you can attack any issue with. You have, you have anxiety? Oh, here, well, let me tell you what. The Bible says that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus Christ will set you free today. The Spirit of the Lord is where he is. There is liberty in your life. The Bible says be anxious for nothing, but instead pray for everything with supplication. You can be free today in Jesus' name. said that Jesus was anointed to go around healing those that are oppressed by the devil. If I lay hands on you today, that demon has to go. And I'm like, oh my gosh, do it, please, man of God. Make sense? Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. There you go. That's a hack. You ever want to learn how to preach the word of God? That's it. It's that simple. Get them full of faith. Find it. There's an old preacher once said, there's always a bullseye for a service. Get, get this too. I got you. I'll finish on this and then I'll, I'll prophesy with you guys. There's always a bullseye for a service. Uh, Ted Sr. said this. And he said, anytime you go into a service, you can feel in the spirit that there's something God is trying to accomplish in a group. It's called the corporate anointing. The closer you get to that bullseye, what's, what's sin? What's the definition of sin? To miss the mark. That's what the word sin literally means. To miss the mark. So it's all about hitting bullseyes with God. There's a bullseye in every service. The closer you get to the bullseye, the more the anointing will flow. So if you pray, anyone that goes into a service and doesn't pray is a moron. But you go into a service praying, asking the Lord, what, what's the bullseye for the service? He'll tell you the bullseye. You'll already know what to write or how to prepare your sermon. If you write your sermons out or whatever, you'll, you'll know. So there's, there's always a bullseye. You find the bullseye, you hit the bullseye, God will take care of the rest. Boom. Then you'll be strong in the power of his might. So the anointing, once again, the Holy Spirit upon your life for other individuals. But I want you to understand, the anointing doesn't only flow when you're up here. The anointing will flow when you're in class. This woman named Catherine Kuhlman, she was so well known for the spirit of God that surrounded her life that she would walk into hotel rooms and people on the 10th, 11th, 12th floor of hotel rooms would fall out under the power of God because she walked in such anointing everywhere she went. She wasn't preaching. She would just walk into hotel rooms and people would experience heaven. You can be so, what does the word anointing mean? Smeared. You can be so smeared. Think about it. There's an old saying in business. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You show me the five people you hang out with the most, I'll show you where you're going in life. What that means is who's rubbing off on you? Where do you think that term came from? Smeared. Smeared. You can get rubbed off on by a lot of goofballs, or you can spend a lot of time with Jesus and get rubbed off on by the Holy Ghost. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more he'll rub off on you. Why do you think John was so anointed? He was the only one that laid his head on Jesus' bosom. He literally smeared up against Jesus. When you spend time in that place, and here's a little hack. I don't know if this is actually accurate, but this is what I do. The Holy Spirit's a person, right? Yep. 
Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be amongst them. Even if I'm alone in my room, the Holy Spirit's with me. That's two people. I said, Jesus, the Holy Spirit's here. That's two of us. That means you have to come to Hang out with Jesus. Yeah. Rub up with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. You'll carry his presence everywhere you go. And the anointing destroys yokes of bondage. You'll just hang out with people. And I'll, <laughs> here, I'll give you a good example, and then, and then I'll pray for you guys. I have an old friend of mine. His name's Carl. Carl grew up a Christian. Carl has no idea anything about the spirit realm. And when I got touched by the Lord, started spending time with Jesus, um, Carl came back from the Netherlands one time. And when he came back, he was talking to me. And he was just cursing. He was a buddy from my past. So we would, we'd curse up the storm all the time. We'd drink, party, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't curse anymore. And my presence, or God's presence on my life, convicted him to stop cursing around me. Well, and it, it seems like just, oh, yeah, well, it's, this isn't a coincidence. I'm telling you. You start hanging out with people, right? Think about, think about before you guys started coming here, what it was like hanging out with Blake before you started coming here. He was probably the one friend in the group that you're like, ah, we don't say that around Blake. We don't <laughs> act that way around Blake. You'd be, like, you be like, all right, we're Blake, so we don't swear. We don't, we don't talk about all this stuff. Right. If you did, you just like, you kind of just sit there and you're like, what did John? What did Jesus say in John chapter 16? When the Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The Holy Spirit upon your life will convict people that are around you of sin. It'll destroy yokes of bondage. When I started hanging out with Mike, I didn't want to watch porn anymore. I didn't want to sleep with women anymore. Didn't want to do drugs anymore. Didn't want to drink anymore. Spirit of God on his life destroyed yokes of bondage in my life. Wow. Praise God. It was amazing. So, Cage, uh, Steve, Josh, if you guys want, you guys want to lay hands on these guys and prophesy over them with me quickly? We'll be fast about it. 